Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. I want you to take a walk with me today. As we enter into the holiest week of a Christian's life. And I want to take, I want you to ask the Lord that He would give you greater revelation of what He went through on your behalf. Could we do that right now? Let's all bow. And let's ask each one of us that the Lord would give us greater revelation of what he went through on our behalf during this holy week. Holy Spirit, as I've asked you many times this week, grant me and grant all of those who sit under this leadership a more intimate walk with you, a greater revelation of what you went through in the last days that you were on earth for us to be a part of your life and your family. In Jesus' name, amen. It was closing in on the end of three years of Jesus' ministry. He was approaching or had arrived at age 33. Tremendous mighty ministry, and it had crescendoed with a mighty call for Jesus to come in and establish an earthly kingdom with headquarters in Jerusalem, and for him and all of his followers to throw off Roman occupation and to throw off the yoke of the emperor of Rome being in control of the Jewish people. This crescendo had grown loud because many had begun to hear about the healings, the teachings, the miracles, feeding the 5,000 with loaves and fish. And on the Sunday that we celebrate today, I want you to walk with me with what Jesus walked. In the early part of that day, Jesus dispatched a couple of disciples to a local vicinity of Jerusalem, and he said, I want you to go see a certain man, and I want you to say to that man, the teacher has need of the donkey and the foal of that donkey. And he will release that animal to you. The disciples obeyed. They went to a certain house of an unnamed man. He immediately released the donkey and the foal. They brought the animal to Jesus. And on the outskirts of the city of Jerusalem, Jesus began what is called the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That is, the king coming into that seat of his kingdom only it wasn't exactly the way they envisioned. Because as Zechariah had prophesied 
this king came riding on a donkey. They spread their clothing, their outward clothing on the donkey, and then beside the road they cut palm branches and scattered those palm branches all along the road, thus the name Palm Sunday. And Jesus riding on that donkey approached the city of Jerusalem. Thousands of people lined the streets on either side, screaming to the top of their lungs, Hosanna, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They are saying, this is our king. When he got into the city of Jerusalem, he dismounted the donkey, walked with his disciples into that grand, beautiful temple that was the center of life in Jerusalem. And according to scriptures, all he did was look around. Now, why did he do that? My guess is he knew that it was his last peaceful view of the temple that would soon become the place of his distress. He quietly looked through this temple, and in his heart were these words, Oh, how often I would have gathered these people to myself, but they wouldn't have it. Jesus and his disciples left the temple, and they went on their journey two miles to a little place called Bethany. Our best guess is he came, he came to Bethany because that was the hometown and the place where he often lodged with his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Lazarus whom he had recently raised from the dead. So Jesus and his disciples spent the night there in Bethany, about a two-mile walk from town. And on the next morning, as daylight became evident in that town of Bethany, Jesus and his disciples left town and started back on the journey on Monday into Jerusalem. On the way, Jesus saw a fig tree beside the road. He pulled over to the side. And he did something absolutely bizarre. He went over and started speaking to the fig tree. And he said to that fig tree, let no one ever eat fruit from you again. Scholars have debated about what that meant since fig trees are sometimes associated with the nation of Israel. Others believe that it was just a lesson that he was going to teach in faith the next day. They continued their walk, and then, pardon the vernacular, but all hell broke loose. Jesus went back into the temple. There in the courtyards of the temple on that Monday day, there were all kinds of people doing business for profit in the place of worship. There were money changers buying and selling animals and birds so, for a profit so the people could then go in and make their sacrifices for their sins before the religious hierarchy, the chief priest, 
And these are special animals. These are special birds. You buy them from us, you will have special blessing from God. Y'all better be careful about those who tell you if you will just buy this trinket from their ministry, you will have special blessing. Do you hear me? In righteous anger, Jesus began to overthrow the tables of money. Money was flying everywhere. Birds, animals were squawking and flying. It was chaos. Why was Jesus so angry on that Monday? Here's what, here's what he said. It is written, my house, my house, this is my father's house, my house shall be a house of prayer, and you have turned it in to a den of thieves. Jesus was quoting what God said when Solomon dedicated the temple, Second Chronicles, this shall always be, God said, a house of prayer. My eyes and my heart will forever be in this house. It will be a house of prayer. But it had been changed into a merchandising place for greedy men. And by the way, just an aside, that's the reason we have prayer hands-on prayer every Sunday in this church because God has said about his house this shall be a house of prayer well you can imagine how well that went over with the religious hierarchy Jesus and the disciples left the temple and on their way back you better be certain that there was a lot of discussion about what kind of issues that would raise. They went back to Bethany and spent the night. The next morning they walked back into Jerusalem. Jesus knew that it was about to get very, very tense. On the way back in, the disciples saw the fig tree which on Monday he had placed a curse on. And with amazement, they looked at that fig tree and it hadn't just withered a few leaves. It had totally died, turned brown, and had, was withered from the roots. And one of them said to him, Lord, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered and died. What did Jesus say to them? In our vernacular, you hadn't seen anything yet. If you had the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, not this fig tree, to this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea. And if you believe it in your heart, what you confess with your mouth, it shall be done for you. 
Have faith in God. Have the God kind of faith. That faith where your mouth and your heart are connected together and that which God puts in your heart of his word, you will confess with your mouth. That you will not allow your mountains to keep on talking to you, but that you would speak to your mountains in faith. That's the lesson he taught them on the way back into Jerusalem. When they got there, there was all kind of confrontation the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, every element of Jewish religious hierarchy and authority came against him. And if you read the scriptures, they tried to trap him. They tried in the presence of those who tried to believe in him, they tried to make him look bad, look rebellious, like he was disbelieving and disobeying his father. He answered them, with self-control and perfect wisdom. He left that confrontation which was bitter. He le- How many of you know, just because you walk with the Lord doesn't mean you'll never have confrontation. In fact, <laughs> you know the end of that sentence. He left. He took his disciples just east of the main part of the city to a place called the Mount of Olives. This was a hillside with olive trees all around it. And there he began to talk to them about the future. He mentioned what was going to happen in the non-too-distant future. The temple was utterly destroyed in A.D. 70. And he also talked to them about the distant future when he would return to the earth. That was on Tuesday afternoon. And then an amazing thing happened on Wednesday. You ready for this? Nothing. The scriptures Wednesday is a silent day. There is no evidence in Scripture that anything happened on Wednesday. Why would that be? Have you all ever thought about this? God Almighty, who never grows weary nor tired, takes one day a week to rest even though He's omnipotent. It's in the first chapter of the first book. Thursday was an incredible day. It was the day of preparation for the Passover that all true Jewish people observed. On that particular evening, Jesus gathered the disciples together. The Word of God says it like this, in Jesus knowing that he had come from the Father and was going back to the Father, humbled himself, disrobed except except for a loincloth, got down on his hands and knees and began to wash the disciples' feet. How many of you know this? You are not going to get down and humble yourself until you know where you come, come from and where you're going. 
If you know who it is, if you know whose son you are, if you know whose daughter you are, if you know that you are royalty in his eyes, if you know that his heart, that you are in the heart of the God of the universe, you won't mind getting down in a little ground and serving somebody. If you know where you came from and where you're going, that's what makes you a great servant. And then... Jesus said these words, I have passionately, passionately, earnestly desired to have this meal with you, to observe this Passover. The brothers will distribute the elements. Please hold them until we take them together. And ask the Holy Spirit to give you revelation Of the intimacy that the Lord wants with you through his broken body and shed blood. Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Thank you, Lord, for that broken body, for taking on yourself our sins and our diseases. We give you thanks for it. And likewise also he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink in remembrance of me. They sang a hymn and walked out into the darkness to a place where they gathered many times before. was called Gethsemane, a place of prayer. Jesus said to the disciples, just wait right here, watch and pray. My soul is in distress. He came back two or three times only to find them asleep. And in just a moment, there was a loud sound of voices, and there was the brilliant light of a multitude of torches coming through the night. And leading that large contingent of Jewish soldiers who were part of the chief priest guard. There was a familiar face. He walked up to Jesus. It was Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve. And with a big smile, he said, Rabbi, Rabbi. Gave him a traditional kiss on the cheek of greeting. Jesus was immediately grabbed by the soldiers. He was bound and arrested. 
And they begin their trek out of the garden. It was a short travel. There were screams. It was chaos. He was led into the house of a, a man named Annas, who had previously been high priest, passed off to the present high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. And there in a courtyard around Caiaphas' dwelling, there was the sound of a rooster crowing because one of the twelve, Simon Peter, had denied three times to witnesses that he even knew the man. To be politically correct, because the Jews were under Roman occupation, Caiaphas dispatched him to the Roman governor of the territory named Pilate. Pilate briefly questioned him and said, I don't find any fault in this man. He hasn't violated Roman law. You take and judge him yourself. But just to be politically correct, he sent him to a man named Herod who was titled king of the Jewish nation. They had a lot of disdain for each other. So from Annas to Caiaphas to Pilate to Herod, Herod sent him back to Pilate. And this is what they were told. Every year during the Passover, you release a Jewish criminal. We don't want you to release that robber named Barabbas. We want you to take this man and crucify him. Give him the most cruel Roman punishment that there is possible. And here's why. He claimed that he was God. He deserves to die. He's committed treason against Almighty God. Pilate eventually gave in to the pressure. Midnight had turned into the early morning hours. All of this trial stuff back and forth and back and forth. It was approaching daylight. And so there was Jesus led between two criminals. And there was a cross assigned to each of them. A heavy piece of wood in the shape of a cross. And he was beaten. He was slapped in the face. Just out of mockery, the Roman soldiers took a crown of sharp thorns and pressed it into his scalp. The nerves and capillaries screamed and blood began to stream down his face into his eyes. Then they forced him, remember this is in the wee hours of the morning, no sleep. They forced him to carry the cross 
up a, a, a steep hill called Golgotha. And there between the two thieves, they began the crucifixion process with his arms strapped to the T of that cross. They took a long, sharp spike and nailed it into each wrist with the brachial artery spurting blood. They took his feet and placed one over the other and took another sharp spike and drove it through the arches of both feet. We can't even enter in to that physical pain. Not to mention the fact that he was insults, blasphemy, cursing. They spat upon him to show their disdain. Then Roman soldiers got on either side. And some helped to hoist and others with a rope pulled his hung body and dropped it into a hole. with muscles and nerves and vessels tearing. This process began around 9 a.m. on Friday morning. Hour after hour, just to get a breath, Jesus would have to try to lift his body weight against the spikes in his feet to breathe. At 12 o'clock, an amazing thing happened. It got dark in the middle of the day, 12 noon. It got dark. Jesus said very little from the cross. He asked the Apostle John to take care of his mother. And then at 3 o'clock that afternoon, having started the process at 9 of his torture, at 3 o'clock that afternoon, Jesus cried out, it is finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. There was a great earthquake. It was approaching a holy time for the Jews. They were not supposed to work from sundown on that Friday to the next sundown. Two very surprising figures emerged as the Roman soldiers, after he had died at three o'clock, one of them just in cruelty took a spear and rammed it into his abdomen. Having taken him down, 
these two surprising figures came forth. Why surprising? Because they were both part of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, sometimes Pharisees, sometimes Sadducees. It was not politically correct to say that you believed in Jesus. But Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who Jesus told about being born again, both came forward, asked for permission to take his body and do a proper burial for it. It was granted. They began to anoint his body with the spices of that day as a a sign of respect and as a traditional burial anointing. And they wrapped his body in linens and put it in a tomb that Joseph personally owned in which no one had ever ever been buried before. Then the Roman soldiers made certain that a massive stone was rolled against that cave in the mountain, which was now a tomb. Took several of them to do it. Jesus' body was laid there before sunset on Friday night. I want you to listen to this. Romans 6 says this. I want you to know something. You were there. Yeah, you were. Oh, yes, you were. As far as God's concerned, in the mind of God, He saw you there. Listen to this. You believe the word? Romans 6, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, that is, placed into into Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit in the new birth, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead, even so we would walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, and we have, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, everybody say, that was me. Our old man was crucified with him. That 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 old me and its power might be broken and done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. If we died with Christ, and we have, we believe we shall live with Him. You know what Colossians 3 says? You died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know what Galatians 2.20 says? I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives his life in me. I live by the faith of the Son of God. In the mighty heart and the mind of God, you were there. Your sins were nailed to the cross. 
the power of that old life has been broken. Now we have to walk in it. Humbly and by faith, and when we walk outside of the claims of Jesus, we have to be quick to repent and ask forgiveness. We're all there, but you were there. So was I. As you go through this holy week, I hope that you will review and ask the Holy Spirit to remind you that all of this was done on your behalf and put into your account and that you would give thanksgiving and honor and praise. Now next week, we're going to celebrate the most powerful, holy occasion there is in our life as believers. There won't be any sad remembrance next week. You talk about a celebration. You better come ready to celebrate, to give praise and honor and thanksgiving to the risen Jesus. Because you know what? When he was raised, you were there too. Let's all stand. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.